I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the final afternoon in the London Review Bookshop's World Literature Weekend. This afternoon, we have the great privilege of listening to Yekaterina Korotkova-Grossman in conversation with Robert Chandler about the work of her father, the Russian novelist Vasily Grossman. At the moment, I'm reading the recently reissued autobiography of the Hungarian poet, George Faludi, My Happy Days in Hell, in which he comments at one point that the Second World War produced no great literature. When Faludi wrote this in the 1960s, he was, of course, unaware of the existence of Vasily Grossman's life and fate. Not just the finest novel inspired by the war, but arguably one of the greatest novels ever written. As John Lanchester wrote in the London Review of Books a couple of years ago, War and Peace hangs over Grossman's book as a template and a lodestar, and the measure of Grossman's great achievement is that a comparison between the two books is not inappropriate. Grossman was born in the Ukraine in 1905 and died in 1964, unknown outside Soviet Russia and largely suppressed within it. The manuscripts of Life and Fate had been confiscated by the KGB and Grossman had been informed that there would not be an edition of the book for 200 years. Grossman described the suppression of life and fate as a kind of death. It was, he said, as though he had been strangled in a dark corner. But even after a microfilm text of life and fate had been smuggled to the West, it took almost five years for the first Russian edition to appear there. Robert Chandler suggests that this was partly due to anti-Semitism among Russian emigres. The high and ever-growing reputation Grossman now has in the West is not in small part due to Robert Chandler, his translator. Robert translated the first English-language version of Life and Fate in the mid-1980s, and it has been reissued recently to renewed acclaim. 
Robert is also the translator of Grossman's last unfinished novel, Everything Flows, which has just been published, and of a collection of Grossman's stories. The debt we owe to Robert for bringing Grossman to English-speaking readers was acknowledged in The Guardian on 18th of May this year, when that paper devoted a leader article to Grossman entitled In Praise of Vasily Grossman. I quote, part of the reason for Grossman's resurgence today is that he has at last found a translator in Robert Chandler worthy of him, one who has the rare gift of conveying the unexpected twists of the original Russian text. Radio 4 will be broadcasting an eight-hour dramatization of Life and Fate next year. This afternoon, Robert Chandler will be talking to Vasily Grossman's daughter, Yekaterina Karotkova-Grossman, about her father's life and work, and about her own memoir, Ukraine on the Edge of Empire, which describes the years in Lvov immediately after the Second World War. We are absolutely delighted and greatly honored that she has come to be with us this afternoon, and we welcome her with gratitude. Thank you. It is a great honor to be here with Yekaterina Vasilyevna. Um, I want to introduce her at some length, and then I hope sort of gradually disappear from the conversation. But um, she's worked in quite a number of different fields as a teacher, as a school teacher, but also as a translator of English literature. And um, it was a great and um, rather unexpected joy to me that um, after meeting her in Moscow last autumn, um, I was able to give her the American edition, the NYRB Classics edition of Everything Flows. And um, she read it very, very attentively and made a lot of extremely helpful comments, some on points of fact, but also some um, very fine stylistic points um, which we were able to incorporate into this um, you know, twice more revised translation published by Harvill Secker. Um, so I have experienced firsthand um, her own sensitivity to literature. Um, I don't know a great deal about the English literature that she has translated. I know that she has translated articles and letters by Dickens. Um, I want to just quote one little passage from one of her memoirs, because this says something both about her and about her father. Um, she was, when she was working as a translator, she was visiting some, um, regularly visiting some older Russian women who were also translators of English literature. And one of them had been critical of the Pickwick Club. And um, Grossman himself was very indignant, and very indignant about any criticism of Dickens, but particularly of this book. And, um, he referred to these old witches criticising Dickens, um, that um, Pickwick is um, it's a work of genius, it's a miracle. The writer managed to portray a fat, absurd, not in any way heroic person, someone with a lot of comic everyday traits, and make him into someone great merely by showing one thing, the charm 
of goodness or the charm of kindness, abhayanya dabrate. Um, and Yekaterina Vasilevna goes on to say that um, Grossman, during his last years, valued kindness or goodness, good-naturedness, more than anything, more than intelligence. Um, that's quite an important point about Grossman. Um, he is always going to be associated to a considerable degree with a number of the most terrible pages of 20th century history, the Battle of Stalingrad, Treblinka, and so on. Um, but I really do not think he was in any way a writer who was kind of fascinated by violence. I think he was more fascinated by love and kindness. Um, these terrible themes were forced on him by the events that his life threw him up against. Um, Ekaterina Vasilyevna is also a writer herself. She's written historical fiction, um, some of it set in the time of Peter the Great. Um, there's only one fairly brief piece of hers which has been translated into English so far, which is a rather wonderful memoir, just um, only a few pages, actually, about um, her, her life in Lvov immediately after the war. Um, she herself spent the war years in Tashkent, and um, immediately after the war, her family, her stepfather, brought her to Lvov, previously at Lviv, which had itself just been brought from Poland into the Soviet Union. So there's a sort of double um, deport movement. And um, Lvov clearly very greatly enchanted Yekaterina Vasilyevna as a young woman. Um, I shall read just a few paragraphs um, from her memoir and um, then start um, asking her to talk more herself. Ukraine, the word Ukraine, um, in Russian at any rate, it means sort of on the edge. Lvov, my youth, a strange, fearsome, romantic town on the edge of the world. The four post-war years, the years of my youth, an amazing sensation of newness, as though I've been born into this world anew. The long journey from Tashkent has faded, receding into the mist with its heated goods wagons and passenger carriages where a coupé is crammed with 30 people, where you sleep sitting up with your legs tucked under you, and where, if you linger in the loo, those waiting bang on the door with their fists and shout menacingly, Hey, you in there! We live in Hotel Europe and wonder at the frivolity of the Poles who have renamed Room 13... 12A. With the war over, everything associated with our evacuation remained in the east, but the centuries of wars had spared this old-fashioned town to the west, so out of the ordinary, so beautiful. The teeny streets of the centre with their medieval houses, each with three windows, had evidently seen a lot of trade. There's German Street, Turkish Street, Greek Street. All of them are tiny, just two, three or four houses. Merchants must have come to Lvov and taken up residence in three houses, each with three windows in the facade. How quaint they are, the unceremonious names of Lvov's streets, like Jan from Duklia Street, for instance. 
I never did find out where Duclea was, whether it was large or small, nor how its native son, Jan, made a name for himself. Then there is Under the Oak Street, another name which lets the imagination roam free. The Sovietists, busy renaming the streets, spare no effort as they try to uproot this free spirit. And moving from the hotel, we live on Democratic Street, better known to the locals as New World Street. Perplexed Polish ladies and gents eye the nameplates wanly. Standing not two feet from the Sapiega Street they have known since childhood, they timidly ask the incomers where Stalin Street is, then hurriedly correct themselves. Comrade Stalin Street. Um, so that's just a little taster from um, this memoir, which has been translated by Karol Yermakova. Um, I know that Yekaterina Vasilyevna is working at present on her memoir of her years in Tashkent, as, um, I suppose, in her early teens. So um, is there anything you would like to say about your work on the, your memoir about Tashkent? It is not yet finished. <laughs> but I came to 1945, just before the end of the war. And uh, it is very interesting this last year. People uh, felt that uh, the war uh, goes to the end. And uh, all wanted something beautiful. So went to see it uh, 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 were very poor, but uh, they красили, как сказать? Красивый? краской из лекарств, из акрихина и стриптоцита, марлевые платья. И все по улицам ходили женщины в розовых и желтых платьях, окрашенных этим лекарством. They used to, they used to и очень модные были платочки, обшитые широкой каймой кружев. Настолько модные, мы брали разные нитки, что устроили конкурс, и я заняла на нем первое место. What was very fashionable were handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs with lots, lots, lots of decoration, and they were so fashionable that there was a competition who makes a better handkerchief. And Екатерина Васильевна won. И тогда мне сказали, что секретарь кома, дама, просит, чтобы девочка, которая заняла первое место, сделала для нее платок. А наша руководительница, очень интеллигентная дама, сказала, Катя, имей в виду, у нее нет тонкого вкуса, сделай ей что-нибудь яркое и пестрое, а не такое, как ты делала для выставки. 
uh, the uh, secretary of the party of the Communist Party District Committee uh, asked uh, for a young Ekaterina Vasilina to come uh, to her and make a handkerchief for her because she specifically said, the girl who won, I want her to come over and do the same for me. But because everybody knew that the taste of this party lady was really bad, she was told by her friends, don't do something subtle as you did for yourself. Just do something really rough so that she would appreciate it. <laughs> it's just the, the episode when I stopped. That's the place at which the memoir now ends. I was just written up to this place. And uh, I want to write about another uh, side of the last months of war. It uh, was very, uh, we were happy and uh, we want uh, this beauty in, in, in every aspect of life. But it, it was the months when uh, were killed young men who were at the war all the four years and were killed in, in, at the same end, just my first cousin. And it is uh, uh, that was very painful, of course, because that was a very long That is the second uh, side, so to speak, to these last days of war. Uh, the, the people who died in the very, very end after having gone through uh, four years of fighting. Is there anything which you, um, when you've been thinking about these years recently, is there anything that was a surprise to you? Anything new that you thought for the first time? Открылось ли вам что-то в тех воспоминаниях, чего как-то бы, может, забыли или что-то сейчас на ново удивило? Было, но я сейчас как-то, я даже помнила, что что-то такое было, что я увидела заново, но в этот момент я не могу вспомнить, наверное, я просто волнуюсь. Может быть, я вспомню позже. Maybe it will come back to me. I've um, also had the privilege during the last few months, um, while working on the collection of Grossman's stories and a few articles, which is going to be published in the autumn, called The Road. Um, it's got quite a lot of introductory sections and notes um, that I've been writing myself, but um, I've been kind of running all these by Ekaterina Vasilyevna. Email has been a great blessing in that respect. 
so um, she's been filling me in with you know, a number of little stories of events in Grossman's life. Um, but what I haven't really asked her about... Um, Ekaterina is Grossman's only child, but she's um, the daughter by his first wife, so she didn't actually see a lot of him as a child. She got to know him more as an adult. Um, what I haven't really asked her about is her sort of her first readings of Grossman's work. So what, what, when did you first read? Um, what did you first read of your father's? It was a novel, very popular in Russia. It is a very warm and vivid uh, book, uh, and uh, uh, characters uh, be beautifully written. Uh, and it, it is... Uh, some quality in this book, when you read it, though it shows very poor, poor life, but you wish to live there, in this, to live in this book. It is very cordial. This is a novel um, written in the 1930s. Uh, all and the Russia read it, and uh, simple people, and uh, writers, and uh, scientists, and Pogranichnik, uh, border, border patrol men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very many letters, such. Papka, that guy. Yeah, there the, the were packs of, of, of letters that he received. It's a novel set mostly before the revolution um, in a kind of mining community in, um, in Ukraine. Um, and it was the first of, um, it was nominated for a Stalin Prize in the late 30s, but um, vetoed probably by Stalin. Um, did you, in the 1930s, did you, um, did, did you read his early stories as well, when, at the same time? Uh, in, in my childhood? Yes. yes. Stories were later. You, do you remember reading in the town of Berdichev? Berdichev, yes. and about happiness, uh, several, uh, several stories are with this uh, title. Mm -hmm. uh, a story about happiness, uh, uh, just happiness, and... Yes, um, yes. So these are all short stories written in the 1930s. And one uh, early... Uh, uh, story by my father was as uh, every young writer does he wrote about uh, ancient Rome and, and when I was a girl I liked this story 
I, for many years, imagined I'd sort of completed a job by um, translating this quite lengthy book. And um, I don't know whether it was a sort of, to what extent it was um, just a laziness in being ready to accept received opinion, or whether it was a laziness about not wanting to think that there was another great book that needed to be translated. But it's um, only very recently dawned on me that, um, I mean, I had always understood that this is the second book in what could be called a dilogy. There is a previous novel, um, much of which is also set in Stalingrad, called For a Just Cause. Um, For a Just Cause was published in the early 50s, actually with huge difficulty. Um, the amount of dramas over the publication is just unimaginable, and the kind of doggedness that Grossman shows. Um, it was actually set up in type three times, and each time, at the last minute, there was a, an order to break up the type not to publish. Um, finally, it was published. Um, and the kind of lazy received opinion for a long time, which I am ashamed to say that I repeated, um, is that it was a kind of that it is a greatly inferior novel to Life and Fate. Um, in actual fact, having now read it, I would say that there are many chapters that are um, really indistinguishable from Life and Fate. Many chapters about the Shapushnikov sisters, which are as witty and graceful and charming and fun as in Life and Fate. Um, there are chapters set in Stalingrad, uh, the fighting in Stalingrad, which are every bit as vivid and moving as in um, Life and Fate. Um, there just aren't the you know, very, very bold, uncompromising political reflections. But um, what there is, is very, very fine. Um, so after that introduction, um, when, when did you first read Zapravaya Diala? Did you read it before it was published? No. There was one publication, and it, uh, there was a good press on it, mm -hmm. and then uh, appeared this uh, article by Bubinov, uh, very, so it was a very negative, and then be began this uh, campaign against. But uh, for some time, uh, this book was edited first, first time, and I read the, I, I knew this book. Yeah, she read the first publication, uh, the first edition of the, of the novel. And what was your impression of it then, 50 of, years ago? Of this book? Yes. It, uh, there are uh, very strong uh, scenes, uh, very strong uh, chapters in this book. The, um, the, uh, the meeting of uh, Berezkin, of uh, this Soviet officer, uh, very, very Russian, very... Mm, very simple and kind. 
Вот я хочу, чтобы вы лучше передали. Да. Мне кажется, что Березкиным отец превзошел Платона Каратаева, потому что Платон Каратаев все-таки как-то не вызывает таких чувств. А Березкин живой и, и, живой и, и не, не ущербный, и не обреченный. I would like to compare this character Березкин with Толстой's character Платон Каратаев. I actually think that uh, probably my father has put something of Platon uh, Kratayev into this character, but he is even more charming uh, because uh, he doesn't, he's not doomed and uh, he uh, doesn't suffer from um, all sorts of uh, uh, previous hardships, but, but he is just a very charming, simple, uh, nice man. Nice, simple man. And uh, it is, uh, I think that uh, it's not, uh, it's not And it is not accidental? Not accidental. Березкин is at the beginning of the Pravaya Dela, and uh, Березкин no, is dedicated the very last chapter of uh, life and doom. Life, life and fate. Life and fate. Um, it is, um, I mean, it's inevitable really that we tend to oversimplify when we are um, making, making connections between a writer's work and their lives and um, there are obviously a lot of um, similarities between Grossman himself and Victor Strum in the two long novels. But um, Grossman clearly has given a few of his life experiences to Buryoskin, whom we are talking about, and um, certainly some very important experiences, like having a, a mortar shell land between one's feet and not explode. Um, this is something that happened to both Buryoskin and to Grossman. Um, we think of Grossman's, in many respects, a tragic figure, um, but he was certainly at some times in the war, he was known as a lucky Grossman, that he did, like Biryoskin, escape death um, several times. Um, I, I can't quite agree with you about the comparison between Grossman and Biryoskin. I think they are really people of very, very different uh, characters. Um, I agree that they're different characters, but a few life experiences вот тут есть какая-то правда, потому что отец когда-то мне сказал, что у него было много тяжелого в жизни. Тем не менее, он сказал, что ему не близок и не нравится образ писателя-страдальца. Он, в общем, был писатель-боец, а не страдалец. My father once said to me that although he has had quite a, a lot of hardship in his life, he doesn't like the image of a suffering writer. He didn't treat himself, didn't see himself as a sufferer. He rather thought of himself as of a fighter. Um, 
very, very glad <laughs> to hear that because um, I certainly agree. And um, it leads me into um, wanting to talk about his last years. And um, I myself have a feeling that I and um, other readers as well constantly feel a bit behind with Grossman. I feel I'm taking a very long time always to appreciate particular sides of Grossman um, that I keep realising after many years that I'd underestimated some work or some side of Grossman. And um, this work, Everything Flows, um, which he began, he did one version of in the 50s and then revised in um, the, early, in the last few years of his life. Um, reviewers are often seeing it as a kind of rather dark work. Um, I am myself struck by the, um, by the, in, there's an intelligence, especially in the chapters about Russian history, there's a kind of liveness and an intelligence which I find very, very inspiriting. And um, also, um, I'm also struck by the fact that it's, it's often seen as kind of polemical, that Grossman is um, having a polemic with Lenin and Stalin and so on. But um, what, um, it's actually my editor in New York who first said this, that um, he sees Lenin in this book as a tragic figure, that Grossman is in a way kind of not arguing with Lenin, but sort of entering into him and um, identifying with him and um, seeing him as a tragic figure. And um, I think... Um, you ask a question first. Yes. Um, shall I just read a page about Lenin? Lenin, this is obviously historically this is entirely correct, but it is also in a way a kind of poetry. Um, so. Grossman sees Russia in 1917 as a, a girl who has been released from slavery and she has to make her choice between the different kind of teachings, the different political teachings on offer. And um, Russia chooses Lenin. She followed him because he promised her mountains of gold and rivers flowing with wine. Willingly at first, trustfully, she followed him along a merry, intoxicating path lit by the burning estates of landowners. Then she began to stumble, to look back, ever more terrified of the path now stretching before her. But the grip of the iron hand that led her was growing tighter and tighter. And he, imbued with apostolic faith, walked on, leading Russia behind him, failing to realize that he had succumbed to a strange delusion. In Russia's obedient walk, in her renewed submissiveness, everything he had brought from the freedom-loving West was being transformed. 
Everything he had brought to Russia was drowning and perishing. He thought that his unshakable dictatorial power guaranteed that the ideal he believed in, the gift he had brought to his country, would be preserved in all its purity. He rejoiced in this power. He identified it with the justice of his faith. And then, for one terrible moment, he realized that his unyielding strength as the leader of a country so gentle, a country so submissive and easily influenced, was really a supreme form of impotence. And the tighter his grip, the sterner his stride, the more obedient Russia became to his educated and revolutionary violence the less power Lenin possessed to struggle against the truly satanic force of Russia's surf past. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, to me, this seems like very, very intelligent and very sophisticated historical writing. Um, my feeling is that um, Grossman's sophistication hasn't really been appreciated yet. Um, do you agree? Uh, with the history of Russia? Мне кажется, что недооценивают тонкость его мысли. По поводу арабской национальной По поводу Ленина и Сталина. А по поводу Ленина и Сталина. I think that the chapter about Lenin was too soft. Was rather soft, yes. Uh, he was uh, from a family of revolutionary. My granddad was uh, uh, in the party, and he uh, before uh, First World War, he uh, worked uh, with uh, some circles uh, and. Uh, uh, Agitated and uh, agitated, uh, propaganda. He was pro, pro propaganda. Uh, yes, and uh, uh, my father has uh, some uh, 
такой вот в лице своего отца он имел такой пример романтичного и героического человека. И таким он видел революционера. His father for him, uh, he saw his father as a romantic, uh, revolutionary young man, and that that was uh, his idea of uh, a revolution. Поэтому особенно была ему революция, представлялась желанной. И вот эти несколько месяцев между февральской и октябрьской революцией замечательным временем. That's why he welcomed the revolution in February 1917, and these months between February and October seemed an absolutely wonderful time for him. А это было на самом деле очень сложное время и очень опасное для России. But in fact, this time was quite complex and quite dangerous for Russia. Так, с протестами, что делать? Давайте посмотрим. I want to move on to. I was very pleased. To see in um, the interview that Yekaterina um, Vasilyevna did recently for the New Statesman, um, that she said that um, she named two particular works of Grossman's as her favourites. Um, one is a short story called In the Big Ring, um, but the one I want to talk about is. Um, it's a work of about a hundred pages. It's hard to describe it. It's called Good Wishes, I think is how it should be translated. But it has been, the title has been translated as Peace Be With You. It's an account of two months that he spent in Armenia in um, late 1961. And um, I only read it for the first time recently and was absolutely enchanted by it and um, decided at once that that was the next thing that um, I would like to translate. So I was very pleased um, when I discovered that it was one of your two favorite works. Um, do you want to say a little more about why you like it so much? Yes, it's... Мудрая, добрая, светлая. Это не получится, что легкая книга. Well, it is full of light. It's um, Grossman's most personal work, probably. Um, he says more about himself than in any other work. But even the Everything Flows, uh, which is a collection of all negative what was in our country, when I worked with uh, Robert's translation, at the end of the book, I suddenly noticed one passage which shows that my father was more optimistic in 
aspect of uh, human nature, then uh, many people now in Russia, <laughs> he uh, believed that uh, men can uh, start lucha, improve, 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 get better. Improve, yes. And uh, that is, it is in, uh, in, our, in our power. Mm -hmm. so that we are able, we are able, that we, we, have, we have the strength, the possibility to get better. And another thing, uh, that uh, there is no such uh, um, wicked, uh, person? person who is only wicked. Every has uh, in his life, in his biography, in his uh, uh, actions, uh, something uh, when... Uh, something good. Uh, something good. Uh, some sort of ray of hope, some ray of goodness in him. Um, I think it might be, um, there are many other things we could say or read, but I think it's, um, um, since Yekaterina Vasilyevna doesn't, this is her first trip to England, she, um, I hope she'll come again, but, um, I think we should probably best to use the opportunity as much as possible for questions. So, um, please ask her whatever questions you would like. I would like to say something else. Наши великие классики, or our great classic literature, was uh, situated in the center of Russia. And the, uh, these um, areas were most крепостническими. What I wanted to talk about a bit is about the slavish uh, nature of Russia, because this episode with uh, Lenin, it talks about uh, Russia as for formally uh, being enslaved. Uh, our great literature uh, is uh, um, originated uh, in the center of Russia, in the areas which uh, where people were for very long time under serfdom, where people were serfs. Были огромные области, где жили вольные крестьяне, вольные казаки. Это огромные области России. Я сама из материнской семьи казаков где гордились вольностью и тем, что никогда не были рабами. 
but but in Russia there were other areas uh, and uh, some of the areas uh, were populated by free peasants or for example Cossacks. Uh, on my mother's line I come from a family of Cossacks and I know that they have always been proud of being of, of always being free. In Grossman's War Diaries he mentions quite often uh, the book that he wrote, I think it was done Dickens-like in a series uh, printed by the Army magazine and I think it was called The People's Army and according Sorry, to... Sorry, he mentions a book called... Well, I'm trying to think of the name, but I've just finished the book but I think it's called The People's Army. He wrote a book Well, it's People Immortal and apparently it was one of the most popular books ever written during the war um, with the stories of the ordinary soldier from the front. And I wonder if that book still exists or if it's published in Russia or if it has any standing today. Um, it's, not, um, it's not much read today. I mean, it was the first Soviet war novel. Um, it was actually translated into English um, during the, the war itself. It's very easy to get an English translation second-hand on the internet. Um, certain, quite a bit of Grossman was translated at that time. Um, it was the first Soviet war novel. It's got some very, very vivid passages in it. Um, in comparison to what, with what he wrote later, it does now seem propagandist. But there are images, kind of paragraphs, that are, that are wonderful. But um, just go on the internet and look for it. I've got a number of questions, and I have to select just one, if I may, or perhaps two. He, uh, your father must have been very famous during the war because of his war journalism. How long was he able to work successfully after the war, even for a few years, as a journalist, or did Stalin prevent it? That's really my first question. Was he able to work and make a living uh, in the late 40s? as a, a well-known journalist. And the second question is, fr from life and fate, we learn that at least the characters, and probably Vasily Grossman himself, realised that Stalin had become anti-Semitic during the war. How did this affect Vasily Grossman's own uh, political views in the 40s? And how did they develop? How did they develop? Um, immediately after the war, um, I don't think he had any particular wish to work as a journalist. He was um, he had two main projects. One was writing for a just cause, and. Um, he was still hoping, um, at least in 1945-46, to um, publish the Black Book, um, this documentary account um, that he and Ehrenberg had compiled about um, Nazi massacres in the Western Soviet Union and the death camps. Um, this was meeting increasing opposition and I don't think it was actually till I forget, 1947, that it was completely and absolutely vetoed. But um, 
it's terribly hard to imagine how um, just how deeply that must have affected Grossman because it's you know, yes that he had devoted himself to this project of huge personal personal importance his own mother had been shot and um, he appears just to have um, you know heard that the book wasn't going to be published and just carried on working on for a just cause. But um, let me see if Katerina Vasilyevna has anything more to add. To, um, Kada zapretsili Chornyu knigu, Kada akamchatsuna skazali. Ty nie w kursie etych dziel, wot imena nasiot Chornyu knigi. Вы не в курсе. Я не в курсе. Ну, Казачья трогья ага. такое, да. не особенно ага. болеющая еврейским вопросом, ага. не так сильно, как... Ага. А, что, безусловно, мог жить на свой заработок и иметь один из первых телевизоров в Москве. Это вот, вот эти послевоенные годы. Его очень много издавали. Ага. At first, in the first years after after the war, when his fame was still big, he could even live on the income he got as a journalist. And they had one of the first television sets. In and lots of other writers came to him to watch his television because that was a sign of affluence, obviously. But that was for a short. Period only, and as far as the black book uh, is concerned, I can't tell very much about it. Там все менялось. После статьи Бубинова были тяжелые годы, и его не печатали. Потом, да, Сталин умер, и статьи и выступление Фадеева в защиту этой книги. Uh, well, the, the situation actually was changing. First of all, there was this uh, very condemning article by Bubinov, and these years immediately following it were quite difficult. He, wasn't, he couldn't publish any, any of his writings. Then Stalin died, and there was an article of uh, a speech of Fadiev, who was head of the Union of the Soviet Writers, actually supporting the book. So it became a little bit easier. When he was when he turned 50, which was 1955, he received quite an important order, quite an important medal, the second in the rank of the Soviet awards. Was quite prestigious. А потом вот. Это когда он уже показал жизни судьбу, и тогда начинается уже действительно долгий и тяжелый период его жизни, в частности экономической. 
Yeah, he, he wasn't condemned as a, a Jewish cosmopolitan or Zionist or anything like that. In um, late 1952, um, the campaign against him, which Yekaterina um, Vasilyevna was just mentioning, the article by Bubionov, that was very, very much linked with the anti-Jewish campaign, yes. And um, if Stalin, you know, the denunciatory articles about against Grossman were reaching a crescendo um, just before Stalin's death, so, yes. I, I lived in Donbass uh, just uh, during this company against my father. And uh, I have uh, disputes with my... Uh, the, 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 the people where we were living, uh, the, the, land, the landlords. And, um, and in school, too, some teachers uh, told me, your father is... Uh, a coward. Uh, is, yes. A coward. Uh, she has no bravery to come and to say that he is not right. And I ask uh, answers always very certainly. Uh, Quite with lots of anger. Uh, if he was a coward, he would be forgiven. Uh, and I, I so, so I, it was suggested that he should admit uh, his faults, and he uh, must be a coward uh, because he was not doing it. And Yekaterina um, Vasilina said to the person who suggested it, uh, she said, if he had been, a, if he were a coward, he would go and repent. The fact that he is not doing it means the opposite. And uh, they, uh, so what was it, was it me, some of my, of our teachers, that uh, at last uh, I, in the end, I started to talk to them every school, I went to school, I went to school, so I didn't sit in the teacher and didn't listen to the uh, so these, these arguments uh, in the school where she was working uh, were really um, getting, getting on her nerves at some point and she stopped going into the teacher's room where all these discussions were happening every day and she volunteered to be a teacher on duty so that she could go in, in, in the building of the school but not to be with the other teachers. And um, my pupils were my pupils were glad because uh, as a teacher I was rather popular. I uh, liked uh, teaching with uh, play uh, momentum with plays uh, with some. So she, she was teaching. She was teaching English using all sorts of games, and that's why her pupils liked her. Я еще из особенно способных, которым было иногда скучно, я организовала кружок перевода, и он у меня работал несколько месяцев, пока я там не, пока я там была. And and uh, there were some children who were interested in English, and uh, they formed the basis of a small society of translation from English, and it worked quite well for several years. What did they translate? Что они переводили? 
uh, adapted uh, stories about uh, Aslanionke, Kipling. Oh, right. Well, Kipling is just so stories about the elephant uh, that was that was adapted, and that was the school and translation so, society and was visible. Such stories, uh, they, they were at the end of the textbook. Everything flows could hardly be more different from life and fate as a book. I think it is a wonderful book. I've heard it described as not so much a novel as a series of meditations on the revolution. Could you comment on that? Um, yes, we both should, probably. Um, I've been thinking quite a lot about this recently, and um, I think it's another case where I was a bit lazy and underestimated Grossman. Um, but he clearly could have, if he'd just wanted to write an essay on Russian history, he could have perfectly well have written an essay on Russian history and just called it that and not made it a part of a novel. He chose to insert it into a novel which was already complete. The novel already in the early 50, in the mid-50s version had the beginning and end that it now has, the later material he inserted into the middle of it. Um, he chose to do that. Um, I think we underestimate what a kind of... Um, an un unusual, rather modernist um, novel it is. And um, there are some very kind of delicate little hinge moments in the book. There's a wonderful passage where um, Ivan Grigorievich, who's come back from the camps, is making friends with the young nephew of his landlady. And um, the the little boy um, asks him to test, he wants Ivan Grigorievich to test him um, for his history exam. And, you know, Grossman chooses, it could have been biology, it could have been anything, but it's, it's history. And um, that is one of the little hinges that leads into the first of the historical chapters. Um, the whole basic structure of the novel, the kind of, the contrast between the, um, the failed meeting of the two cousins, the cousin who's come back from the camps and the cousin who has had a successful life as a scientist. And um, they both have high hopes of their meeting, but the cousin who's been successful um, actually ends up, instead of sort of repenting and confessing as he vaguely intends, he ends up sort of endlessly justifying himself to Ivan, who is back from the camps, justifying himself in terribly complex language and sort of shifting. Um, that conversation is kind of perfectly balanced by the absolutely crystalline, clear um, account by the landlady who is um, in a small way involved as a local official in the terror famine, and she tells her story of her past um, as a kind of a real gift. It's a terrible story, but she says it with absolute clarity, and it's actually at the beginning of the kind of love relationship between her and Ivan. So these two, these two conversations 
balance each other perfectly. I think it's a very, I think the structure of the novel is um, much more sophisticated than I first took in until I'd read it several times. Um, I've talked a long time. <laughs> I don't think it is a novel in the full uh, sense of the word. There's lots of journalism in it. Там собраны все эти негативные темы, гулаг, космополитизм, голод на Украине, все. There are very many critical themes there. The gulag, the famine in the Ukraine, the the campaign of cosmopolitan campaign, Lenin, Stalin. It's all there. But there are, of course, magnificent chapters there which are novelistic in, the, in themselves. This meeting of the cousins. И совершенно потрясающе то, что я считаю самым сильным написанным отцом, это рассказ о голоде на Украине и последняя крохотная главка о том, как достойные любящие люди жертвуя друг для друга умирали и помогали и любили друг друга. But uh, and also what I think is uh, among the best pages written by my father. Самая, самая, is, пер... не, она, самая. Not, not among the best, but it really is the very best uh, uh, very writing, strong. the strongest writing written by my father. Uh, the description of the famine in uh, Ukraine and the description in the very end, a short chapter describing decent uh, people uh, sacrificing everything everything for each other, for the sake of love to each other. It's Vershina uh, Summit. The epitome. The Vershina Chilo. This small chapter about this human sacrifices and love is the, the summit the, of the epitome of uh, Grossman's writing for me. Um, we've included in this volume um, an afterword that um, Yekaterina Vasilyevna wrote, where she tells the story of how the one journal published the long chapter about the famine and um, didn't tell her until the editor didn't tell her until it was already a fait accompli that he had left out the following much, much shorter chapter, um, a very moving, very sweet chapter about this very loving couple, um, which is the chapter that Yekaterina Vasilyevna um, especially admires, but this, this editor just kind of casually left it out because probably was more attracted by the harsher tone of the previous chapter. So I was unlucky publisher. <laughs> Um, I'd like to ask Yekaterina, please, about her life in and work in Lvov in the post-war years. I'd like to know um, why the family moved to Lvov and the political situation that she found there between the 
Russians, the Ukrainian and Polish populations, given that the Jews had been deported to the camps and the Poles had been deported east back into um, the Polish borders. And the kind of work that she and Vasily Grossman was involved in there, please. Thank you. You understand the Russian? Uh, no. no. <laughs> yeah. If you read this uh, essay, the essay, uh, all you ask is there. We went to Lvov because my mother's uh, second husband um, left his mother in Kiev and she uh, saved uh, Jews and partisans and she was hanged by German. And he can't uh, come to the city where his uh, mother perished. So we went to Lvov. And, and uh, his, uh, his director, uh, which was in Tashkent, uh, worked in Lvov and uh, uh, proposed him to be his uh, uh, deputy. Uh, well, that, that was the work relations of. Uh, he, he, he was. Uh, he became the deputy of uh, the uh, director of the institute, and that's why they moved to Lvov. That was the uh, second husband of her mother. The national. Uh, 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 relations. Uh, local people do not like Russian, especially uh, uh, the people in Lvov, the local people uh, didn't like the rudeness of the Russians especially. And very typical Russian. But we were Ukraine. We, my mother and me, we spoke uh, Ukrainian fluently. And uh, attention to us was very uh, warm. And uh, there were many people, young people, who told to me, we'll, we will save you. They, I don't know quite, but they thought, it seems to me, that uh, who, some uh, army came to Lvov, and Lvov would not be Soviet, and then they saved me. Мне было очень приятно, что меня хотят спасти, но я не очень верила, что кто-то and we studied in one uh, group at the university, at Lvov University. Um, and uh, I know the, the story. I, I did not know that man, but I know the story uh, about a young Jew student who wrote to his fr girlfriend uh, a letter when he, uh, he re reproached her 
that she um, was friends with was friends with Russian and the Ukrainian, and this uh, young man uh, disappeared from university. <coughs> Uh, he, he, I think he was arrested. Could I ask about the eventual publication of Life and Faith in Russia and how it was received? Они противники были. Ah, uh, she, she actually even saw people in the library who uh, wanted to get the book, although their faces were, were saying that they were not really future admirers, but they felt that this was a must read, that they have to read this book, and that that was they had to queue in the library to get it. Yeah. Well, they, they, they were saying, okay, let, let me have Grossman as well, because now everybody reading it, I have to do it too. When I uh, went uh, in the street, in taxi, with uh, these books or with this magazine, uh, everybody asked me, give me one book. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.